You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman, as on the wonderful show, and joining me on the other line because he could not get enough. I make this joke every time we do more than one weekly show. Mr. Tony from Forbes.com. What's in the Apple community news? Tony, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm excited to talk Pacers basketball because finally tomorrow they're back in action and we have found every evergreen topic that we could possibly reference for the rest of the season to cover in these two podcasts. So we can later in the season go over and we talked about rebounding or their their second quarter struggles or whatever. Like we, we can call back to these shows. So I'm glad we, we actually have time to cover this stuff. Yeah, it feels like almost like a May, like May of last it year. Does, it does. Like no games, trying to pull topics out of our uh, – you know what, but uh, <laughs> I do think that we have some to talk, 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 topics today. Um, in particular, we'll talk about some of the pick and roll stats with Sabonis and Brogdon, how they compare to last year, this year, why they are effective, and maybe it's maybe less effective than they've been in the past. And then um, we'll talk about the Pacers' terrible second quarters. Um, we'll explain what that means further. Um, but first, we're going to start today talking about Keelan Martin and the Pacers, what do we call him, the 15th man of the Pacers, essentially, right 13th. now. 13th man. I guess the, I'm adding in the two-way guys in my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that, well, Jalen McHugh's down in, uh, in in Fort Wayne, so he's definitely 15. Um, I guess, yeah, Keelan's probably 14. How about that? 14th. Okay. The Pacers' 14th man uh, who is due for a fully guaranteed contract come Thursday, right? Yeah, so let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty here. Everyone's favorite thing. So the Pacers might waive Keelan Martin this week and open up a roster spot which much to do talking about what they could sign with that. If they do that in the future, we'll cover that if that uh, needs to be a thing. So here's the situation. Keelan Martin's contract is half guaranteed. He has a $1.4 million year, this $1.1 million deal this season, $722,000 is guaranteed. So every contract in the NBA becomes fully guaranteed if that player is still on a roster come Saturday, the 27th. However, they have to clear waivers for that contract to be off the books, meaning that and the waiver process in the NBA takes two days. So players had to be waived by Wednesday to have their money not fully guaranteed for the rest of the season. So basically what I'm telling you is if the Pacers want to save, let's say, $700,000 and open up a roster spot, they might cut Keelan Martin in the next two days. And they could do that for a number of reasons. They could do that before the season started, when they were over the tax, signing this partial guarantee was just a free out for them to get under. Now, they made the Oladipo-Levert trade, so that's no longer an issue, but that's one reason they've made the contract like this. Another one is they could open up a roster spot and do what they've done in a couple of the past seasons where, like, two years ago, they brought in Trey McKinney-Jones for a 10-day deal. Uh, th- three years ago, they brought in uh, Ben Moore for two 10-day deals, and then signed Trevor Booker with the last roster spot. And then the year they signed Trey McKinney-Jones to the 10-day deal, they signed Wesley Matthews with that extra roster spot, right? So in two of the two of the three seasons with KP fully in charge, they've kind of made a spot to get a, a buyout guy or someone who contribute. Now, they're really deep this year like they were last year when they didn't use it. So there's a chance they don't. But having that flexibility allows you to, if there is a big injury or you really need help, in the short term, or you just want to get reward a guy with a 10 day, it gives you that flexibility. So Keelan, they, you know, they liked him enough to give him $700,000 guaranteed. And 
He had some nice preseason flashes, but he's not playing at all. So I think there is merit on both sides of they want to see what they have with this guy. He's a local kid who is getting high praise from a lot of people in the organization, but also, you know, thinking about the future of the team, maybe it makes more sense to open a roster spot. And, you know, maybe you could promote Cassius Stanley if you do that. There's a lot of options. But I just said a lot of words that I didn't let you talk. But basically, there's a chance that we see Keelan Martin waived in the next two days. Yeah, I mean – so they, they could keep him and still cut him later on if they wanted to open his roster spot, Yes, right? yeah. There's no he, tax they would have issues. to pay his full deal at that point, though. But there's no right. tax issues because they're right. under the luxury tax. And yep. so, um, so keeping him, I guess, it, unless they have a guy in mind, they might be better off just keeping him for the short term because they need the warm body in case another guy gets hurt. Um, you can make that case, maybe. Um, but it does feel like it, it's an opportunity now to maybe kind of cycle in somebody new on a 10-day deal and give some other guys a shot, right? Clearly – they don't think Keelan is like a playable NBA player. Otherwise, they would be playing him, right? He's played a grand total of yeah. like 44 minutes. And I'm going to guess about half of those have been in garbage time. So um, he's played maybe like, I think he's been in the rotation maybe like three or four times this season. So That's far. what I was going to say is they, they tried it. Remember like when TJ, right when TJ Warren got hurt, the the first game after his surgery and the second game he played like solid minutes I, I i think like over 10 minutes in both of those games yeah he played he played 11 minutes in that first game after the tj warren surgery and he missed all six of his shots that game i think he was kind of forcing it and then he was in the rotation again the next game and didn't do so hot and didn't play a ton so he got a chance in the rotation after the warren injury on the wing uh, and remember jeremy lamb was still out then too but he didn't impress in a way that, that allowed him to stick. They just went back to an eight-man rotation, even though they didn't have Warren or Oladipo or Lamb. They preferred to just go with eight guys. So I think he kind of had a chance to prove that he should stick around and maybe blew it. But, again, there maybe two games of sample isn't enough to cut a guy, and they clearly liked him before the season or else they wouldn't have signed him. And he was good in the preseason, which it's preseason, whatever. But yeah, there, there's evidence on both sides that maybe they would think of both. But I think you're right that – He's not playing at all, uh, and he's only playing garbage time, basically, and he hasn't impressed that much on the court. So there's definitely merit to, to moving on and seeing what they can do. And then, you know, like, like here's, what, here's a question to consider if you're a fan of the team or just in our scenario analyzing what is the best for them in the future. Say, let's, let's just pick a player, right? Like McDermott got hurt last week and he missed a game, right? So they, they played Jakar a little bit that game, I believe, right? So would you rather have a 10-day – slot open so you could just bring in a guy that game who probably won't play anyway but is your emergency behind your car or would you rather have keelan martin be that emergency for that game there's kind of merit to both sides there because like really good players don't take 10 days anymore especially if they're not going to play and keelan can kind of play we saw in the preseason but maybe he'll struggle it's hard to say so it's kind of a tough balance to strike and and you know if you're going to get a buyout guy who's actually going to contribute yeah okay you do it then but that's what you just said. You, if you know you're getting someone, it's a little easier to make that decision. Yeah, unless they have somebody specifically in mind they want to bring in, whether maybe it's not like right away, but in the next week or two, it the money is not that big of a deal, right? For yeah. an NBA team, I mean, maybe it is with the way the fans are in the league right now, but most of these owners, uh, what is Keelan's guarantee? Like close to like three quarters of a million, a million dollars is insignificant in the grand scheme of, right. of an NBA team. Uh, so you could see them saying, well, maybe it's worth that much money to keep him for 10 additional games in case of that, you know, injury protection and then bring right. somebody else still, right. They're, they're not prevent, even if they guarantee him, they're not prevented from doing the, the move that they might want to do next with the buyout guy still. So like, I just, I guess I don't see a lot of like 
upside of just cutting him except for cost saving, which just means that they need the savings, which isn't really <laughs> a good sign for an NBA team. At this well, point. they don't, they would pay someone else if they sign someone else. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, right. It, it, like I said, they don't have somebody, if they have something specific in mind that they want this guy, that makes sense, right? You cut Kaylin, you bring that guy in, but if they just cut him and leave it open for a little while, then it's kind of like, well, what, what's the point? Of well, that? there's some flexibility value too, I think. But they can cut him sense. any moment, right? So even if they wanted a guy like a yeah, team, yeah, yeah, that's they could fair. just cut him still and bring that guy they in. They did that with – remember in the, with two seasons ago when they did that trade with the Rockets where they took Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin in. I don't think anyone remembers this trade even happened because they cut, do, they cut both of those guys immediately. But they also had to cut Ikeani Bogu to make that trade, and his deal is fully guaranteed, right? So Herb's done that before where he just cuts – a guy who has money on the books just to, you know, make, make the right move anyway. So you're right that that's not necessarily a thing, but it's easier to like, if they do a two for one trade, if they have that roster spot, it's so easy to do. Right. So like the trade deadlines a month away, that's, you know, a f- yeah, but they could still cut them the, like the two days. No, I know. I'm just saying, make the, you know what I'm mean? just like, saying it's easier to do now than it is later, but yes. I mean, slightly, it's slightly easier. Right. You still right. do it. Like it's, it's just inconvenience yes. to have to do it later, but it's right. not like, impossible but the time they would fill in those 10 days is between now and the trade deadline uh anyway for those flexibility reasons so if they want to you know maybe reward a mad ant or they have someone they want to bring in on 10 day which again it's kind of hard when your team is has the depth to to handle anything anyway and bjorkren's not even playing a lot of their depth pieces so uh i don't i don't i don't know what's gonna happen i think i actually am pretty split on what i think the best move here is but i see benefit to both sides and it don't be surprised if the Pacers make a move this week and Keelan Martin is, uh, is waived. That's, that's my takeaway here. That's fair. I, I said, if they don't have a player in mind, I don't think it'll make sense. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think they're just going to make time to cut him. So, I think they'll there, – There's no one available right now that would play, if that makes sense. And that might be the argument to just keep him because just cut him later if someone becomes available who would play for your team that you actually want. And if not, just roll with what you got. O'Shea Brissett's been really good for the Mad Ants this season. He's kind of like another Jakar Sampson. But the only reason I'm bringing him up, even though he's very duplicative with Jakar Sampson's skills, is that he was a two-way player for the Raptors a few seasons ago under Nate Bjorkren. So maybe that link leads to something. I don't know. I'm just connecting some random dots. And something else they could do is they could convert Cassius Stanley's two-way to a standard deal and give him more years if they actually want to continue to develop him. And they could just re-sign him in the summer anyway. Uh, it's pretty easy to keep him as a restricted free agent on a two-way. But you know, maybe rewarding him a little bit, getting another two-way guy in with Fort Wayne could could change their structure a little bit. Who knows? They have some options. I just want to list out some of the things that I think they would be considering if they moved on from him. But we'll see what happens. We'll know literally by the end of tomorrow if uh, what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's sort of a split thing, but if they don't have a player in mind, it doesn't like it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what they what they do. Okay, let's do this. Let's take one quick break, and then we're gonna talk about um, some of the Pacers pick and roll stats. Uh, but first, today's Locked On Patriot Podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now. You can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And everything from your end of control monitor to brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. Whether for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, in the how do you hear about it box so, that we, so they know that we sent you. 
Made in selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Tony, has the Pacers maybe best, most valuable play from 2019-20 become one of their almost detriments this season in the pick and roll? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's a good question. So here's the thing. McMillan loved the pick and roll, and Bjorken doesn't use it as much. So it's a Bill little love running one thing that worked over and over and over and over and over and over. Hold on and over and over and hold on and over and over over again. Sorry, sorry. Yes. So what we're here to talk about comes from a tweet, actually. Remember, if you tweeted us, we could just decide that that's a topic for the show. So first of all, we don't play games in five days and we're kind of thinking, what should we talk about? So yeah. Yeah, Bruce White at Whiteland5023. Thank you for tweeting at us with us. He said, he said, disappointed you guys didn't discuss the way the offense lately has ground to a halt when Sabonis and Brogdon go into the pick and roll. Defense plays five on two while the rest of the team stands around. And he says he does enjoy listening every day. Thanks to the show. Bruce, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you for the topic idea. So Adam smartly pulled up last year's numbers for these pick and roll stats. Um, but I want to start with this here because I think this is pretty eye-opening. So Sabonis as the role man, this is all tracked data from NBA.com. 21.8% of Sabonis' possessions, he acts as a role man in some capacity. Pacers scoring 0.98 points per possession on those plays. So that that 21% is not is like 20th in the league, I would say. That points per possession is is outside the top 50. That's pretty weak. And that in terms of percentile, uh, that's like 26th percentile. So he's not actually been super efficient in that play. And I think Bruce's point that Defenses are kind of playing at five on two because Sabonis is drawing a lot of attention recently. Brogdon has been drawing more attention recently. His teams go under on him. That play has been really blown up recently for both guys. And that's why Sabonis is percentile is so low. He also has a very high turnover frequency as a role man, 10.3%. That's not like high in general, but for a role man, which is typically bigs, that that's pretty high. And then for Brogdon's side, uh, he is acting as the ball handler on the pick and roll 9.3 possessions per game. I think that's 11th. I'm trying to count on the fly 12th in the league, which is a lot. Uh, he's averaging 0.89 points per position on those well outside the top 50 as well, about the 55th percentile. So in he, you know, he has screens with Turner as well, which is why those percentiles don't jive. And, you know, obviously Sabonis is the role man for other guys, but anyway, to say, that both of those percentiles are not super high and they do it together a lot and defenses are really loading up on them recently. That's kind of been a rough play of late. And I thought that was a very interesting point from Bruce and interesting numbers. And you want to compare them to last year too. Yeah. So if you look at last year's stats, Brogdon is actually a, around the same um, like point possession with last year. Right. So in 2019, 20, he, Average basically 7.7 pick and roll rolls of the ball hander per game. Uh, it was at 0.92 points per possession. That's about okay. 1.5 less in terms of possessions, but the sa- almost identical points per possession. Very yep. close, very similar to ter- frequencies around 11%, stuff like that. But the big difference has been Sabonis. Sabonis last year was like an elite level pick and roll. I mean, he averaged 1.1 points per pick and roll last year, which I believe uh, I, I isolated just him. But if you do that by points per possession, that gets him. You got to, that gets him into like, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like smaller sample size stuff, but it, for guys over the amount of games he played, it puts him in like the top five or 10, um, which he was really good last year. That was like his specialty. And that was one of the things he was really good this year. It's not been going as well, right? He's under a point for possession. His turnovers are up last year. He was at 7% turn frequency this year. It's 10. I mean, it's, he's clearly not been as good in the pick and roll. 
he's doing it a little less because um, they're seeing him face up more, right? They're just letting him be the ball handler more than have to actually be like relying on somebody else. Um, and we're seeing uh, teams swarm it, right? I mean, I don't know how many teams have seen a kickball on the on the pick and roll, but it's been a lot um, from other teams because they immediately recognize it and know they have to get out of it because they're screwed, essentially. Um, so I, I'm not surprised his, his numbers are down a little bit. He also is not playing with as good of players around him at times, which is sort of hurting that stat as well. Um, but it hasn't been – it has been – well, last year I thought it was like the Pacers' like biggest strength was there was their pick and roll. Spartan. I'm not sure this year it's like the play I think of. This is one's going to work every time. I might more lean towards other plays that get McDermott cutting to the rim as a more efficient play, or even something where it has Brogdon kind of trying to squeeze in for a floater as a more efficient play than this bonus Spartan pick and roll. Some of it, yeah, I agree that they're th- that with a lot of that, um, and the defense is really loading up on it because they. I think that the turnover thing. Teams have decided, have figured out that if they really blitz Sabonis, you know, he's been a lot better at finding cutters this year, but he sometimes is is patient to a detriment, and that can cause him to well, turn it over. he's a young point guard. Yeah, he's learning how to do He hasn't really it. been the ball hander, probably ball hander. You know, they, they tease it a little bit in the past, but, like, this year he's finally, like, literally has the ball a ton in his hands. And so, right. like, any new person that had the ball a ton, people are like, let's just, like, let's just, like, blitz him like you would a young quarterback in some way and hope he makes a mistake. So his, his turnover frequency as a role man is up. About 3%, a little closer to 2.5, I guess, to be more accurate. Uh, and then the points per possession stuff, I think some of it is that, you know, he went against bench units a lot last year, right? He The, the, the Sabonis plus the bench unit was so good, and he had McConnell as a partner a lot more often. Uh, not that Brogdon's like a bad pick-and-roll ball handler or anything like that. You know, what? like what you just said, his numbers are pretty similar. Um, but just he went against different units. He had different teammates around him a lot. I think that's certainly a factor as well. And then, yeah, the, the big one, like Bruce said, they're getting just loaded up on that play because, you know, when, when they have Depot off the floor now, he's not on the team anymore. It's a lot, you know, not that, you know, McDermott's struggling from deep. He's a great shooter and Holiday's a great shooter. They still draw attention. But when there's not like a, a threat like Oladipo who can slash like he was with the Pacers this season, even though he struggled a ton last year, it's a little easier to load up on that box. And that's another stat I wanted to pull up is, if you go do the splits here, so before the trade, Sabon- before the Victor Oladipo trade, Sabonis was first in the league averaging 81.1 passes per game. And since the Depot trade, he's actually still first in the league, but he's down to 73.7 passes per game, despite his minutes only being down, looks like two-ish. So there's something to the minutes going down a tiny bit, but he's passing less often than he was before the depot stuff because I don't think he has as many options. There's not as much movement going on. There's been a lot of different starting lineups, to be fair, in that stretch. Like Aaron Holiday started for a while. Jeremy Lamb started for a while. McDermott's in there. McDermott's out of there. You know, there's been a lot of, of differences and changes, but his passing goes down a little bit. He, he's still second in the league in touches. So I think that that teams are really – they're trying to go through Sabonis and teams are finding ways to slow it down in a way that is hurting that pick and roll and, and kind of slowing down the Pacers' groove. Yeah, you're telling me because they lost, they basically went from having uh, one of the top three players to having no player in that spot that it's made things <laughs> shock. Yes, it has It has quite a few effects. But right. uh, it's fun to – you know, these might be dorky, like dig into the numbers kind of stuff. But to really – to highlight, like, like, I think I never would have thought about – how much that play is struggling this season if I didn't, you know, if we didn't dig into these numbers because like on any given possession in the clutch, like that's what I would call if I'm a coach because 
usually those are low turnover plays, and that's the point of clutch possessions is you don't want to turn it over. You want to get a good look. But if, if you're not scoring that much and you're turning it over more often than the pass, you have to kind of run something more complex or ISO. And I know people killed McMillan for a lot of ISO-laden games. But, you know, at this point, it, it's kind of different. Like the, their offensive dynamic is currently a little weaker because teams are really finding a way to slow down that Brogdon Simonis pick and roll. Yeah, and I think that's a bonus this year is, especially at this point with the how decimated this team is by in, in injuries, that the, their best shot is him within, within five feet. Like, he's getting good luck. He just sometimes isn't making them in some ways because he's just either because he's basically overburdened or whatnot. But, like, there's not a lot of times where he gets down the, in the lane where I'm like, he shouldn't have shot that four-foot bunny. I'm just like, why does he keep hitting the back end of the rim or why doesn't it roll in, right? It's not like it's it's not like it's a terrible shot where you're thinking, oh, no, why is he doing that? Like, we – in the past, you could say, like, when Vic can't make a three, he just keeps taking them. And I'm like, why do you keep taking them? I'm like, stop. But, right. like, when you're inside that close to the rim, you think it should go in even if you aren't making them for a little while because you're that close and you're that big. So, um, I mean, I think this set explains a lot. Like, we've seen a ton of Simone's kind of bunny misses around the rim, and this kind of is just a, a, a product of those. Because they, they haven't all been in the pick and roll, too. They've been – a lot of them has been just him by himself going to the rim and missing. But um, he's had more of those because taking more shots, too. So that's also part of it. Yeah, I, I share all those opinions, and you know maybe Sabonis ends up an all-star this year, but maybe some of his struggles as a, as a good pick-and-roll player have been teams really loading up to stop that pick-and-roll, and he can't get as much going as, as the stuff he's good at. I just can't wait till we get some more, uh, like, Karras or T.J. Warren back, because I think it will – I mean, it says every year, but, like – One off-the-bounce threat helps so much. Yeah, well, and then you can run the pick-and-roll with that guy and Sabonis, too, at the same time. Yeah. Which it, it mixes it up a little bit. I mean, especially Karras. them spotting up would be huge. Yeah, I mean, you're. Yeah, they just need they just need another guy to sort of and and to send one of McDermott or Holly to the bench to help kind of secure that lineup too because those guys have been so good in the starting lineup, but they're, they're much better as a 26 minute bench player if you can really maximize their skill sets that way. Um, but yeah, anyways, we've done that plenty of times. Let's do this. Let's take another break and then we're talking about the Pacers' terrible second quarters. But first, is locked on Pacers podcast is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your sports action. Football might be over, but college fast basketball, the NBA, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Let's say you like The Bachelor. Bet on that. BetOnline.ag. Tony's a big Bachelor fan. Uh, that's why podcast was delayed a little bit tonight. Uh, they have real-time updated odds and props on anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to, to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device time today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. The promo code locked on. It's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. BetOnline.ag, your online sports book experts. Tony, did you know, or else it was wait, I didn't tell you, would you have guessed the Pacers getting outscored in only one quarter this season? I would not have known that. And before I fully address that, I must say that being very quiet while Adam reads ads and and comes after my TV show preferences. I don't care. You can enjoy. I'm just saying you like The Bachelor. <laughs> you blend it right into the ad. I, I, I love that. Um, yeah, good, uh, good hometowns today. Anyway, yeah, I would not have known that. Um, and I would not have – I probably would have picked the second quarter as their worst quarter, but I might have picked the fourth quarter, although they have had some nice – Third. I would have picked the third. I don't know why I would have picked third, but I've been so bad. Well, they were amazing in third quarters. Remember early in the season? Oh, that's true. They've just been so bad lately, it feels like. Yeah, they, like the first month of the season, like every game, they would just just dominate the third quarter. I think I probably would have guessed the fourth quarter as there were, so I was surprised when you told me it was the second quarter, but we can dig into that now. I have uh, one tab up for every quarter at this point. Oh, nice. You're ahead of me on 
hit on me on that one. But um, oh. no, so the base right now the Pacers are. Um, I mean, so they're a 500 team. So like they don't have they're not like outscoring anybody like crazy amount of points. But basically in the first quarter they're winning them by about a point um, more than opponents like per game. They're losing the second quarter by about a point and a half. Uh, winning the third by half a point and then winning the fourth by half a point as well. So uh, basically their, their second quarters are like extremely bad, have to be countered out by extremely good fourth quarter win games, which kind of tracks, right? For them, they've won a lot of couple games this season by having to like hold these great fourth quarters out to basically come back. So it, it makes sense. I just, I, and they've gotten better at the first quarter once they put McDermott back turn the lineup too. That's helped stabilize that part of the, of the game for them. So um, yep. it does make some sense. Like when you kind of think about it, but it still is kind of odd because the bench is used to be such a valuable asset to this team, and that would usually bleed from the end of the first into the second quarter. And now we're not seeing that as much. So net net rating wise, they're they're plus three point four in first quarters, which is twelfth. They are minus five point six, brutal in second quarters, which is twenty second. And I'll get to the specifics of why that's so minus. Third quarters plus one point three, that's eleventh, and fourth quarters uh, plus five point one, which is sixth. They're top ten in both offense and defense in fourth quarters, which it's kind of amazing. They've had some fantastic fourth quarters of late to their credit, which was not their strength earlier in the season. And that's not necessarily all clutch. It's the whole quarter, but still. So the, the big thing is a lot of these quarters, their net ratings look pretty similar. You know, their defensive rating is like 108 to 110 and their offensive ratings like 110 to 112. And they're in the plus. And then in the second quarter, their offensive rating is 111, which is pretty good. And their defensive rating is 117. So they cannot get stops for their life in the second quarter. And for me, I, I want to think I have two theories here. I guess it's really only one theory, uh, but it's kind of two theories. And it's that the way Bjorkren does rotations is like the second quarter is when guys like Goga or Jakar or who, Sumner, whoever the hell the ninth man or 10th man is in the game is when they're going to get their longest burn. And that's when typically the Pacers have their worst lineup in the game. And also – in the fourth quarter, he has more information about what bench lineups and players are working against the other team's matchup, so he can adjust accordingly, whereas in the second quarter, he doesn't have that sort of substitution information. So I think it's just I think it's just more that, that since Bjorkren is so varied with what groups he has on the floor and he sometimes likes to expand his rotation, um, that the second quarters feature a lot of funky and, let's just call it what it is, bad lineups that, that kind of struggle to get some stops. Yeah, I think that, that that's one good uh, point. I, the other thing I'm looking at, so if you took it, look at um, each player's field goal percentage by quarter, Brogdon's worst quarter, not by far, but worst quarter is the second quarter too. And that could be a good – I mean, that yeah. could, your point I think explains maybe the first six minutes and Brogdon struggles explain the last six that's minutes. That's totally fair. If that makes sense, right? So he's shooting 37% in second quarters. He's shooting 51% in first quarters. 45% in third quarters and 40% in fourth quarter. So he's not – second and fourth are clearly his worst quarter still. Um, but I think that's, that's one of the reasons. Because Brighton obviously is such a high usage player for this team, such a huge part of their offense, right? I mean, take like 18 shots a game, something like that. So um, him not having the second quarters, plus he had in the kind of bad start is kind of having a compounding effect that I think kind of leads to their struggles. Well, I want to loop that back to what I said. Not that your, your point's absolutely right. Brogdon struggles in the second and fourth quarters. Okay. Well, I want to go back to the lineup thing for a little bit because I think, you know, not that Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott are like awesome creators or anything, but 
Brogdon has to do a little more with those second units when, especially when, you know, Turner at center groups have been amazing, but like they, they, they don't have Sabonis out there to be a hub. He's forced to take tougher shots. I think with those especially when McConnell's out there too. I mean, it's, you're talking about, he's just out there by himself offensively trying to. Yeah. And McConnell can create for others in a way, but I don't feel like Brogdon and McConnell have ever had like this awesome connection. Not that they work fine together. I'm not saying they're a bad fitter. Yeah, they actually have, I think they were at one point the best two men at rating on the team, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think they still work well together, but I've never been like, Oh, we got to You know, they got to get those two out there at the same time. You know, that, that connection's going to get yeah. the offense going, you know, it feels more like a, we don't have another ball handler offensively so we're just making this work to kind of let Brogdon play off the ball for right. the first time because like normally you'd be like oh we'll put Warren and Brogdon out there and let the ball against Warren or uh, you see old Depot now hopefully we care it's like that would make you used to run like that because it makes sense right I mean that was the whole appeal of the old Depot Brogdon thing was they could kind of interchangeable each could play off the ball could play on the ball right. and that would be like create this kind of super lineup so uh, you know what's sad that. Adam that I never thought about till just now what the Depot era is over and me and you never got to see our dream of Oladipo a point guard it just it never happened well you know what's even sadder we saw like all of like what 25 games Oladipo and Brown together after that whole thing. I, know, I know that was worse I mean that that I, that, that was really sad because I thought it was a bummer that was supposed to be like the thing oh we got Brogdon and Oladipo it's going to be like this, this thing and then it never was so I think the biggest surprise when I run through the second quarter stuff is Turn turn solo Turner lineups happen like every second quarter. And that's like, that's been the bread and butter for this Pacers team. And we kind of talked about this stuff yesterday, but the lineups with Turner in at center and no Sabonis and no Goga are just like killing teams, like insane net ratings and scoring well and getting stops. And, you know, they're like a plus every game and stuff. And that group plays a lot in second quarter. Now also they sub Turner out for Sabonis at some point in second quarters. And like we talked about yesterday, Sabonis groups are struggling a little bit. So, I think that's possibly a factor as well, but that that's why it surprised me that the second quarter was, was not worse or that the second quarter was worse than the fourth quarter is because I feel like we see solo Turner more often in the second quarter, but that might be wrong. I might be just objectively wrong on, on that feeling. Well, the other one is you get a lot of lamb second quarters. I think his, his highest minute quarters are second quarters. Uh, no, I'm wrong. Fourth is, but he's, they're all pretty close. His third, second, third and fourth are the same, but um, lamb is a minus, Three, three and a half per game in the second quarter. Um, and he's just bad defensively, so that also explains a lot of that. Yeah, it. and Lamb's terrible defensively, and their second quarter defensive rating is atrocious. So that, yeah. that, that, that tracks. <laughs> that tracks for me. Well, yeah, they, that, remember when got smoked by the net second quarter, too? That also probably helps. That was one of their worst quarters of the season. That's That, net second that is true. That is true. And, like, the third quarter for them – for the, like I said, the first month was so good, but they're only plus 1.3 in third quarters. I feel like they've been struggling in those quarters recently, yeah. um, but, they're, but they're really pulled by the big start. So I think that I think that the first quarter net rating is the one I, fe- I felt the best about. You know, that their starters are still doing pretty well most yeah, they, of the time. They, they, they seem to be winning a lot of first quarters. Every time I look up, like, oh, they're up. Yeah, they're in it at least. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the first. plus three point four that quarter track. So that that's interesting though. I would not have guessed the second quarter. You like what? Like, but it's, it's weird to me when stats don't match what I see. Like, okay, I have to really think about why that's the case. And this one's been harder for me than a lot. I think that, but my running theory from the beginning of that's when we see the most. Like, is Goga's most minutes second quarter and this, you know, stuff like that. I'm guessing that's the case, uh, and I think that's probably my biggest culprit for why because. Say you get to the fourth quarter in a game that Goga is in the rotation, uh, and it's a close game. He's going to play him for like – Bjorken's going to play him for like two minutes, right? So just naturally the, the fourth quarter net rating will be better than the second quarter net rating because of that. Yes, you are right, though. It is Goga. It's Goga at Sumner's 
biggest quarters. The Most biggest quarters. quarters. There we go. So that that's my 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 biggest factor. I think is that. But we've run through a million reasons. You know, there's a lot of reasons why the second quarter is the lowest one, and the way Bjorker and coaches, where he kind of feels out the matchups, and and he likes to ride the hot hand. We've seen him play a bench unit for an entire fourth quarter in a game before. Um, I think really he has to feel that out for a lot of the game, and he can't do that in only 12 minutes. So. I, th- I think those are my two biggest factors for why the second quarters are so so. Yeah, up. it's weird too because like, so when you watch another Patriots game, especially probably the last, let's say, well, the last two years, right? Because they kind of been the same team since being of last year. Um, you kind of get like a a feel for how the game flow goes, right? So like it used like last year, and I even said to somebody asked me in the season, I would have told him, all right, so the first quarter will be kind of even matchup. They'll maybe be down five points, then you'll, you'll get that lineup with McDermott and McConnell will come in, and all of a sudden they'll go from a close game to being up by five or ten. Like that's just like consistently how, how it worked over and over again. And so you would expect by about the eight-minute mark or six-minute mark of the quarter to be up, right? And I would, and, that, and that's usually how it flowed. This year, you're not having that same kind of push, I've noticed, right? You just don't – they seem to be up in the first quarter a lot of times, but then by the time it hits the half, they're down by a decent amount of points. They have to call their way back. So it does make sense in my mind. It's, again, it's just another casualty. That's kind of another casualty of the fact that they're just so – they're down so many um, starters. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think that, that this is an interesting stat. We'll have to see if they can uh, shore up the second quarters. And I think you're right that that net second quarter is probably a big factor because they were only down like eight or ten. That yeah. in the Milwaukee one, too. They got killed in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. They got smoked in, in Milwaukee as well. Milwaukee. That's a good one. So. Yeah, and I think the fourth quarters, um, which was what I would have guessed is the worst quarter, might be largely influenced by, you know, they just had the Bulls game. They outscored them pretty handily in the fourth quarter, sent it to overtime. Same with the Timberwolves and that Pelicans yeah. fourth where they just yeah. smoked them. They did that twice in New Orleans in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So I think uh, you know, with any with any whatever twenty eight game sample, you're going to get some fluky stuff like this. Yeah, that's why I've avoided looking at clutch stats yet because we're just so not but not not enough games for sure for that. Um, All right, well, we're going to have some more basketball fun this week. There'll be some games (laughs) starting Wednesday, uh, which means Tony will have some previews and I'll have some game breakdowns on those uh, those nights. So Wednesday, all right. They play, why am I blanking? Who, who, who do they play Wednesday? The Warriors. They play the, play Warriors. the Warriors Wednesday, which Tony will have a show previewing that game. Then I'll have a breakdown show on Thursday. And then Friday will be the, the preview of the Celtics-Knicks back-to-back from that Friday night through the weekend games. Yeah, and, when, and Wednesday I get to uh, ramble about either congratulating Sabonis on being an all-star or rambling about, you know, if the, if the league made the right choice on him not being one. We'll see. We'll find out uh, today. Should be so fun. If, if you had to put – so because people listening to them, they might already know. Do you think he's an all-star, yes or no? Give me the answer. I think it's close. I oh think it's like yes or no. Yes or no. <laughs> no, no. Same. I'm same. So here's the thing. Now that you made me answer, I think it's like what I said with the game preview stuff, where it's like if I give them sixty percent for three games, like yeah, they're the favorite, but I think they're only going to win two. I think of all the like all the twelfth guys in the East, maybe Sabonis has the highest chance, but it's like a twenty five percent chance, and the field is like a seventy five percent chance, if that makes sense. So we might have the highest individual odds of any of those guys, but still low odds. Yeah. The- one thing I will say is uh, Charles Barkley went on Bill Smith's Packers and called Sabonis a top 15 player in the league, so he will be pissed if Sabonis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Probably, the East is just so loaded this year. I, mean, I know. It's, it's not like a, it, him not being an all-star is not like a detriment to him. It's just that it's a talented group this year, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll but see. But them not playing in a week means they will still be the fourth seed by the time coaches vote, and if, they, if, the, if the standings are on the card that they are, they are given uh, to, to pick their player, maybe that will be a factor. Yeah, that could be. Um, all right, so we'll have those shows this week. As always, you can follow our podcast at Locked On Pacers. You can follow Tony at Teased NBA, me at Free Madam 5. We have Joy Tice Podcast. We'll bring you a new one tomorrow, and we'll see you then. <laughs>